Welcome to CBO Speaks, the official podcast of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission for this podcast is to ask chief business officers to reflect on their careers, share personal examples of the ways they have navigated challenging situations, and offer some lessons that they've learned from their experience as a CBO. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for joining us today. My name is Megan Strand, your host, and I am so pleased to be joined today by Melissa Hopp, Vice President of Administrative Services at Community College of Baltimore County. Welcome, Melissa. Well, hi. Happy to be here. Well, I am thrilled to announce that it is a brand new year, 2021. Um, and so with that, I want to ask you to reflect back on the fantastic year that was 2020 a little bit. Melissa, if you could go back maybe to this time last year and teach yourself one thing that you feel would really equip you, what would that thing be? Oh, my gosh. 2020 <laughs> was quite a year, wasn't it? Indeed. <laughs> it was. Um, you know, I I, uh, I think about that, and I think that probably the thing I didn't know was um, I was I was way too place-bound in the way that I worked. And uh, so I learned a whole lot about Teams and Zoom and, and uh, uh, the cloud and all kinds of things like that. So that was probably the place that I grew the most. But as I think about the last year, you know, I really think about the attributes that were important, um, important for me and important for my team, and obviously flexibility, but also tolerance for ambiguity. Uh, we were at a place where, you know, we had to make decisions based on the information we had, which was always incomplete. And some of it turns out to be true and some of it turns out to not be true. And we had to make decisions every day, every week based on a set of, of changing um, uh changing knowledge. So that tolerance for ambiguity. And then the other thing that was the most important was understanding that you cannot over-communicate. You absolutely cannot. The things that you think are just known are not. And so the college, the college community looked at me as the CBO, and they want to, they want to know that people are making decisions and thinking about them. And the only way they understand that is if you communicate what you're doing, what you know, what you don't know, that you're taking care of this now and you'll take care of that later. And you cannot over communicate that, especially as people are remote and especially in times of crisis. So you would have gone back and told yourself, look, you're going to be building the plane while you're flying it. So get comfortable with that whole situation and make sure you communicate a lot more than you think you even need to. 
Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been the advice. I love it. I love it. Well, what would you say just over the past, let's say six months, what's one noticeable way that you've had to change the way that you lead? I mean, you referenced the technology piece, and obviously that's a big part of all of our, our lives right now. But anything else you can think of that might have, you know, changed your leadership style a little bit? Sure. I, I, um, I would say that I have been a lot more intentional about making connections. And, and by that, I mean, you know, you don't, you don't have those run-ins with people in the hall or in the cafe and, and none of those connections really exist. So, you know, you need to take the time at the beginning of each, um, at each zoom call and kind of connect. How are people doing? How are their families doing? Um, you know, connecting what the individual is doing to the big picture at the college. And then, you know, and, and of course, you know, it's particularly important as people are disconnected to express appreciation. And the last thing that I think was important was um, was sharing, you know, this whole coronavirus and everything that we're all going through, it's making us tired. It's making me tired. It's making you tired. And it's okay to understand that that's impacting us and that it's it's changing the way that we approach our work. And that's okay. And, and kind of acknowledging that um, has been has been important, and I've been trying to be very intentional about doing that um, to to fill the void of of not being together. Now, are those more intentional team check ins something you think you'll carry forward even after COVID is over and you're back to meeting in person? Like, is that a valuable thing that you've found just generally? You know, that's a good question. Um, I think that, yeah, I think that I will uh, continue to do those, um, those check-ins because, you know, that, that connection, I mean, the college is not, you know, we're going to come back to be together again, physically at some point. Um, But you know, uh, we are not independent. We're all part of a of a uh, coordinated effort. And if we don't understand that, you know, you know, so and so is having a bad day today because you know their kid their kids having trouble with uh, with virtual learning, then you know, shoot, we might as well all just work in little boxes. Um, you know, that connection is really important. And I think it, um, I think it makes us better leaders. I want to ask you a question now and take a little bit of a, a step backwards or upwards, if you will. Um, when one of the issues with CBOs as they're looking toward the next generation of leadership is how to nurture that community of up and coming leaders. And there's obviously a very strong desire to diversify the field as well, which is something I'm sure you've thought about. But how do you think CBOs like you can best prepare to develop that next generation of leadership, given everything that's happened right now, 
um, in the past, you know, in the past year specifically? I like, I think a lot of Americans have, um, have spent, have spent some time uh, this year reflecting on my own beliefs, reflecting on my own biases, um, uh, my own um, innate perspectives that perhaps I didn't realize were biases in the past. Um, and, and I've, you know, I've done, I mean, how do you, how do you change that? You change that through thinking about it and making a decision to change it. And I haven't been afraid to share that with, um, to share a little bit of that journey with, um, with others, because everybody needs to understand that we all benefit by using the perspectives of everyone. Right. So, um, so I think you need to not be afraid to show your growing edges as a CBO because that lets others, um, uh, see that it's okay to evolve and, and to change. Now let's talk about it a little bit more specifically. Right. And I, you know, I'm, I've done, I've done the numbers and the numbers of the diversity of my own staff. And I need to be accountable for that and recognize that if there aren't uh, people of color in the pipeline, then the likelihood of, of people of color being ready to move up is, is zero. So I have to be accountable for the diversity of my own staff. And I need to talk about that and talk about that with our, with the other leaders on my team so that we can, um, so that we can improve. And then lastly, um, I think we need to, I mean, I know this sounds kind of trite. People have talked about this for a long time. Uh, you know, we need to do, we need to uh, put ourselves out there as mentors. And, you know, I've heard that before. And, you know, sometimes you just think about that as uh, something off the cuff that people don't really mean. And I think instead we need to understand what that mentorship is. And that mentorship is one showing an interest in uh, in people in the organization, people of color in the organization, and then, you know, building trust and then, um, you know, kind of providing the keys to the kingdom, if you will. I mean, that's really what we're saying is that um, it, it, CBOs are expected to act a certain way and to to have a certain set of skills uh, that um i don't know we dress more conservatively you know we 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 do certain things and and if you don't talk about that if you don't provide kind of the keys of the kingdom in a very basic way um you know people don't learn it i like your focus on the pipeline i think that's really important and you know i'm hoping that we'll see more of that pipeline development in the future well, I would love it if you would talk not only to our CBO listeners for a moment, but any listeners who might be considering a CBO role, CBO role as their next career move. 
Melissa, what would you say are the top three skills or attributes that are most critical for CBOs, given everything that you've gone through in 2020 and given everything that you're facing in 2021 and beyond? Let me say that the skills are, uh, they change. Um, you know, I've been a CBO for a very long time since uh, since the mid 80s and the very first budget i built as a cbo was a, a 12 million dollar budget for the college i was at then and uh and we built it with a typewriter a jar of liquid paper <laughs> and adding and a machine. mimeograph yes <laughs> <laughs> so you know so obviously uh the skills that we use to build the budget now <laughs> are very different so um you know so it's tried to say but but CBOs need to know how to learn because the skills that you have today are not the skills that you're going to need tomorrow mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so I would say that. So I think instead, um, I would identify kind of three key lessons, three key approaches or attributes that have been very important to me and, and, and to, uh, my development. The first is, um, I would encourage everyone to understand um, Myers-Briggs or one of those um, other personality um, assessments. Why? Well, when I was um, when I was early in my career, I um, you know I thought I wasn't doing well because I was working for a president who was on the Myers-Briggs scale a very high. P, meaning that he reinvented the wheel every day. And that's the way he approached the world. And uh, my finance staff were kind of, you know, uh, typical finance folks. They, you know, a debit's always a debit, a credit's always a credit, and, and it works that way day after day after day. And I was in the middle. And I felt like I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't meeting either group's needs, and I thought it was my fault. Mm. So um, I was fortunate at that time that um, as a leadership exercise, we all took the Myers-Briggs test. And I'm not, you know, supporting that test over another. The right. uh, The whole idea of that kind of personality or approach. Um, and that helped me understand that it wasn't me. Um, it was, it was just people have different approaches and that was really one of the key, uh, it was very formative for me, um, in moving forward. It allowed me to, um, to go forward and to kind of ignore, okay, well, really, you know, that's based on that approach and that's why they need it this way. And, and this is based on this approach. So, uh, so that was very helpful to me. Another thing that was very helpful to me was learning that, um, my job wasn't just to develop the best answer from my perspective. 
It was to understand how that answer would be perceived by every constituency. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I learned that from the president. I had proposed whatever policy it was. And, and his first question was, well, you know, how are the students going to see this? How are the faculty going to see that? And it was sort of like, oh, well, you know, it doesn't matter. This is right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, obviously, that was different. The other thing, and so I do this now with our our leaders at the college. We have a, a leadership academy, and I spend a day with them where um uh where they have to develop a budget now you know it's not really a mathematics challenge it's it's they have to weigh competing demands you know uh they need more money so they need to raise tuition but the students obviously don't want tuition the politicians don't want you to raise tuition you know they need the more money to provide a raise which of course employees want they have uh de- competing demands for you know some other scenarios and what that allows people to do in that day long exercise is to understand there's different perspectives and um, I mean I, I know each financial officer on it, listening to this has had someone come up to them and say oh you know you can't raise tuition the poor students can't afford it and then the next question is but I really need you know this <laughs> amount of money for my program and and people you know they're not understanding the dissonance and so helping people see it as it's a it's complex and and helping people see things from all sides i think um it it certainly helped me and i i try and share that and then the last thing is um is is data and details right cbo's need to know data and details what does that mean well that means that um um you know, there's a lot of things. And every day, obviously, you know, I'm not doing debits and credits, but I need to understand the details of what gets done at the institution. I need to understand what are the principles of faculty compensation and and the different parts of it. And it's okay to know those details. That's not being too detail-oriented. It, it's knowing the details so that I can later make um make broader judgments and so um i think details like uh faculty compensation student collections the chart of accounts those kinds of things that you learn are important not that you're going to do them every day but it's important that you have that 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 grounding now let's add on to data right because the challenge as a CBO, especially one that's been around for a long time, is to um, is to make decisions on the data that's in front of you, not what you think is true. And so um, I would say that analytics and understanding data, where to get data, how to interpret data is a very important skill. Having done that, 
there always has to be a little bit of heart with that data. Um, understanding that you can have and recommend the very best data-based decision, but it it might have too uh, cataclysmic of an initial reaction. Um, you know, it's sort of like, you know, that Rolling Stones song, right? Time is always on your side. <laughs> so, so sometimes data says make this decision, but postpone the effective date for six months to give to give people an opportunity to adjust. So that's uh, that's what I think. Those that's those are things that are important to me, and um, and that I've learned in my career, and I think are important for future CBOs. Well, I can't think of a better place to end than data with heart. So, Melissa, thank you so much for your time today and sharing just a few of your insights and experience with our audience. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed being here. You can find out more about Melissa and today's episode by visiting the professional development section, then click podcasts of nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks and Apple Podcasts so that you'll get the latest episodes instantly. Also be sure to check out Nakubo's State of Higher Education series. It includes briefs, customizable slide decks, and data on the current higher education landscape. These resources are specially designed to facilitate discussions around the value of higher education through a COVID-19 lens, the need to address racial disparities in U.S. higher education, and more. To see what's available, visit nakubo.org, click Resources, and then click State of Higher Education under Advocacy. Advocacy.